Good morning. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 17 through 21 this morning. I'm going to read through those verses uh, that Dale read for us. I'm going to be reading out of the NASB this morning, and then we'll pray and ask the Lord for help. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is God's holy word. Let's ask him for help. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, humbly we approach you this morning. We give you thanks and praise. Lord, you are the one true God of heaven. And Lord, you have made all things by your outstretched arm. Lord, there is nothing that compares to you, your glory, your splendor, your wonder, your power. Lord, we are but dust. Lord, this morning we ask for your grace and your help. Uh, Lord, that you would be with me, Lord, as I minister the truth of your word, and I pray that, Lord, your spirit would be at work in the hearts of all who hear. Lord, may we bow the knee to you, our God, our King, the Prince of, of Peace, Lord, the one who has made a way for us to be at peace with you and with all men. We ask these things of you in your name. Amen. When a man comes to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, everything changes. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, who writes in Romans this morning, was writing to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, the new things have come. The heart of the man goes from being a heart of stone that is kind of represented by a stiff-necked attitude against God's word and his will, and it becomes a heart of flesh, a heart that bows the knee to the Lord and seeks to do his will. The mind that was once at enmity with God because of his evil ways and evil deeds is now at peace with God. The scripture even goes so far as to saying that the Christian man has the mind of Christ. 
And there are many, many noticeable changes that can be detected in the hearts and the minds of the Christian. But this morning, we're going to be focusing on one particular area of marked change, and that is in the realm of relationships with others. And just to give us a little bit of a comparison, let's look at a few passages of Scripture that describe the nature and tendencies of the fallen man in relationship with others. In Titus chapter 3, verse 3, Paul, in speaking of the man who was once fallen but now is a believer, says, we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. These verses remind us that it was very commonplace to be in conflict with others. Malice, wrath, abusive speech from your mouth. These characteristics are distinct to the fallen man who is dead in his trespasses and his sins. Envy, hateful, hating one another. And in this fallen state, conflict with others is inevitable. But now, as followers of Christ, we are living with new characteristics, characteristics of Christ that promote peace with others, characteristics like humility, love, and self-control. And this is a beautiful thing in what takes place in the hearts and the minds of God's people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, the Word of God says, For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. The internal motivations of the heart have changed. Right? From living distinctly for ourselves, for our own desires, for our various lusts and pleasures, and now living for the one who died and rose again on our behalf, namely the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. And these changes start from within the man. They are internal changes that manifest themselves in an outward direction toward God and toward others. And this is described in Scripture as having a new heart. And it is the result of having the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within the man. And the work of the Spirit within our heart is a transformative work causing us to grow ever progressively in sanctification to become more and more like our Savior and Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
However, we continue to live in a very volatile world, a world with many offenses. And Jesus spoke about this in Matthew chapter 18, verse 7. He says, woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. Another translation would say, because of its offenses. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks must come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling blocks come. And Jesus is warning us here that we who live in this fallen world will experience offenses. Stumbling blocks, he says, must come. We're going to be in certain situations where we face all sorts of difficulty with people in this world, challenges, where we perceive an evil act against us, situations where we as believers in Christ have to respond We have to respond to people who have wronged us, who have committed heinous acts against us. As a biblical counselor for many years, I've heard many, many terrible stories about people who have been harmed by others, even those people in their lives that should be there to lead them, protect them, and help them. Jesus says, however, we must not be the ones laying these stumbling blocks. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 10, it says, The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. And that ought to be our motivation as believers in Christ. We don't want to do anything that would cause somebody else to stumble into sin against the Lord Almighty. And so learning how to respond to these stumbling blocks and offenses when they come becomes an essential part of growing in the likeness of Christ. And this morning, in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul is laying before us a Christ-honoring rubric for the Christian man to follow when he has been wronged by others whether their offenses were intended or not intended, no matter what it is, we need to practice righteousness. And that's what the Bible teaches us, right? As we become followers of Christ, we need to walk as he walked. We need to live as he lived. And this is going to take some intentionality for us. And so this morning, we're going to look at three righteous responses to a perceived evil act against us. And the first is that we would practice restraint. Back to our verse in Romans 12. We're going to look at verses 17 and 19. Practice restraint. He says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
It is part of the fallen condition of man to respond to evil with evil. I mean, this is ingrained in the human psyche. It is riveted to the human heart. This is the easy response. It's easy to retaliate because it becomes something that is just natural for us. We've come into this world with a fallen sinful nature and nobody had to teach us how to retaliate. But notice that the word never appears twice. First in verse 17 and again in verse 19. And this should help us to understand that it is not the measure of the evil act that determines the response. We are to use restraint no matter what level of evil has been committed against us. There is never a time, never a time when responding in evil or revenge is permitted for the follower of Jesus Christ. And this makes sense as we think about who God is. In James chapter 1 verse 13 James writes, let no one when he is tempted say, I am being tempted by God. Listen, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. Because the Christian life is considered to be the life of Christ, the very life of Christ living within our hearts. And because he is not tempted to do evil, we ourselves should never justify responding with evil. No matter what level of offense, no matter what we have endured from others. There's a story of a former pastor at Grace Community Church. I believe he's still pastoring, but at a a different location, whose son was murdered. And this is a, a tragic story. But it was said that this pastor had an overwhelming desire to have the opportunity to meet with the man who killed his own son so that he could minister Christ to him. I mean, this is befuddling. It's hard to imagine. He wanted the man who killed his own son to experience the grace and mercy and forgiveness of Christ. Friends, this is a distinctive Christian response to evil. One wouldn't think twice about a father who would harbor Bitterness toward a man who killed his own son. But yet, what we see here is the evidence of Christ in the man's heart. The righteous restraining of evil. And that's a beautiful thing to consider for us all. And this righteous restraint has been demonstrated for us throughout Scripture. As a matter of fact, if we look at Acts chapter 7, verses 59 through 60, 
we see it in the life of Stephen. Stephen was known as the first martyr in the New Testament church. And Stephen was responding to men who rose up against him, and he was responding to these religious men by proclaiming Christ to them. And as he was speaking to them, they were greatly offended by him. And in verse 59, it says that they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice and he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep And that is a a nice way of saying that Stephen died. Consider this, this man proclaiming Christ, doing what God would have him to do, and these men, offended by his words, pick up large stones and are seeking to crush his skull. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that tragic scene, He cries out to the Lord for them that the Lord would not hold this sin against them. He restrains himself from retaliating in any way. But it's also demonstrated for us in the life of Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 24, Peter's looking back at the cross. And he, through divine revelation, begins to teach us what Christ was doing while he was being persecuted at the cross. In verse 21, it reads, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed." This is an astonishing, mind-boggling act of restraining grace demonstrated by Christ. At the cross, consider the level of temptation that he was experiencing at the cross. Not only do you have these cruel and wicked acts of the Roman soldiers who mercilessly flogged him and nailed him to the cross, but you also have the cruel, taunting remarks of his own people who were challenging him, as they often did, to prove that he was the Messiah by performing some miracle. And at this time, that he would come down from the cross and therefore prove that he was the Son of God. And though it would have been easy for him to call a legion of angels to protect him and to retaliate against this evil act against him, he restrained himself. From each of these passages, 
it's also clear that Stephen and Jesus were trusting God to be a just judge. Stephen, as you hear him cry out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And Peter's description, again through divine revelation, that Jesus kept entrusting himself to who? To the one who judges righteously. This points us back to verse 19 in our text. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. The Lord will repay. Friends, the next time you experience an evil act against you at the hand of another man, the next time you are tempted to respond in a sinful way, to an offense, consider this promise from the Lord. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. You see, this allows us to respond in righteousness. And we need to allow this clear promise of God to move to restrain our hearts from standing in the place of God. It is His to repay. It is not ours to repay. Following these steps of Christ, following what our Savior was doing at the moment of his greatest temptation in the most wicked day that has ever taken place, he was entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. So what is our application? We need to do the same. Amen? And ask yourself this morning, how are you doing? How are you doing responding to being sinned against? What is your initial response? How are you responding? Are you easily angered? The Bible says that a fool shows his disgust right away. Are you easily offended? Do you find yourself justifying sinful acts of retaliation, whether verbally, even internally, or outwardly, by focusing on the wrong that was committed against you? Do you find yourself replaying the wrong over and over and over in your mind? We need to practice restraint by trusting that there is only one lawgiver and judge and that we are not him. Amen? Well, we learned the first righteous response to a perceived evil act against us, practicing restraint. Now, we're going to look at practicing respect. Practice respect. Romans 12, again, we're going to look at verses 17, 18, and 21. Practice respect. Paul says, never pay back evil For evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, rather than repaying evil for evil, we are to respect what is right in the sight of all men. And showing respect for what is right 
is respecting what is intrinsically good and proper and honoring to God. If you think back to your younger years or some of you young people here even now, remember a time when your parents may say to you, you need to be respectful. You need to show some respect, right? And showing respect basically was meaning that it entailed an understanding of what was appropriate and what was right and what was good in that moment. Not only did it involve restraining yourself from acting out and misbehavior, but it also entailed doing what was right, doing what was good. We need to be respectful. We need to show some respect. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying to us. Do not allow the perceived evil act against you to allow you to lose sight of what is right and what is noble and what is just and what is honorable to God. Do not allow the offense to cause you to forget what is right in the sight of all men. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15, the Apostle Paul says, See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek what is good for one another and for all people. We should always seek after what is good for one another and for all people. Whether this is a Christian brother, good for one another, or whether it is someone who is not a believer, for all people, we should be seeking what is good for them. And this is where it becomes obvious, right? Sin is not good. It's not honorable. It's not right. It's not the appropriate response. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And when you really break down this situation in your mind, you begin to realize that sin never resolves a sin problem. Sin is never the solution to anything. It never resolves a sin issue. We must remember that sin is vertical. Amen? That's going to help us. Somehow, in the midst of conflict and offense, we lose sight of God. And we get so hyper-focused on that act against us and whoever it is that has offended us, that in our response, we fail to remember that we are doing all things unto him who made us. David, King David, in Psalm 51, verse 3 and 4, states this, For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me against you, against you, Lord, you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. As a response to someone else's sin, we must not sin against the Lord ourselves. 
Sin is vertical. We need to respect what is right. We need to practice respect. We need to be aware of what would glorify and honor the Lord. We want to have a heart that is covenant-keeping with the Lord. We want to have a heart that desires to glorify Him at all costs, to walk in the light, to please Him, to do what is right before men and before God. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, Paul goes on to say, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And this is certainly what is right before God. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And he came to grant us peace with God. But he also made a way for us to be at peace with one another. But if we look at this verse, there's three things to observe from this verse. The first, notice that he says, if it is possible. And that's actually very helpful, isn't it? Because sometimes you're in a conflict with someone and it just isn't possible to have true reconciliation and peace. Peace is a two-way street. In order to be at peace with someone, there needs to be a willingness by both parties to do whatever is necessary to be at peace. Sometimes it's not going to be possible. Because one or both parties is not willing to do what they have to do. However, this passage tells us to be at peace if it is possible. If the offending party is willing to be at peace with you, if they are willing to come with to you and they are willing to work out peace, regardless of what the level of offense is, we need to be willing to be at peace with them. This is challenging. This is challenging. Not only does it help us to understand that sometimes, right, true peace cannot be attained, but it also tells us that we need to be willing, no matter what, to be at peace. And that's the second point. So far as it depends on you. So far as it depends on you. So far as it depends on you helps us to recognize that our actions in response to an evil act against us should be everything necessary for peace. We shouldn't do anything in the midst of a conflict that would disrupt the opportunity to be at peace. We shouldn't add any offense ourselves. In other words, We should not say or do anything that would contribute to the conflict or further it along. We should not do anything that would get in the way of peace. As far as it depends on you, you don't have control over that person that has sinned against you, but you have a responsibility to have self-control over your own heart. Now, there's good news for us as followers of Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The Spirit dwelling within us enables us to restrain our hearts from retaliation, 
but also to do whatever is necessary to be at peace. We have the capacity through faith in Christ with the spirit dwelling within us to do this. The third thing from verse 18 is to be at peace, notice, with all men. With all men. We should be willing to be at peace with all men, with all manner of men. There should not be any people group on the planet that you are not willing to be at peace with. But this also tells us that we should be willing to be at peace with anybody, regardless of what level of offense has been committed against you. And dear friends, I I know, I understand that you, I'm sure, have faced heavy, difficult, tragic offenses in your life. We live in a world where there is heinous acts of evil. We live in a world where there is abuses of all sorts. But friends, we have been given life by the Prince of Peace. Vengeance is the Lord. He will repay every evil act that has ever occurred on this earth. But we need to be willing to be at peace with all men. God has called us to peace. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Seeking after that which is good for all men is how we emulate Christ in our life, by being a peacemaker. Well, let's look, though, at verse 21. Paul says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We think back to Cain and Abel. There was a moment when Cain was offended that his younger brother's offering was received by the Lord and his was not. And there was a moment before he tragically fell in an act of murder against his own brother that the Lord spoke to him. And he says, Cain, why has your countenance fallen? It was shown all over his face. He was offended and he was thinking about malice and evil. He says, if you do what is right, will not your countenance be lifted up? Will you not also be accepted before me? But he says, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is to have you. Friends, this is what Paul is warning, right? Evil overcoming you, an act of evil against you. He doesn't want it to overcome you. It doesn't have to overcome us. But how do we overcome it? He says this, with good, with good. We need to practice respect. This is the way of overcoming evil. It starts with respecting what is good and what is right before all men. And that shows you, well, I know what I'm not to do in this situation. Maybe this very moment, maybe this morning, you find yourself stewing over 
some offense. And you find yourself battling right now with what to do and how to respond. Hear those words of the Lord. If you do what is right, will not your countenance be lifted up? If you do what is right, will you not also be accepted? But if you do not, sin is crouching and its desire is to have you. Friends, how are you doing with respecting what is right before men when you have been wronged? Does what God requires of you take precedence over your temptation to do harm in retaliation against that person that has harmed you? As much as depends on you, are you seeking to be at peace with all men, even your own personal enemies? Friends, practice restraint knowing that God is a just judge who will punish evil wherever it is found. He is a good and just God. Even his wrath is good and it's right and it's just. Practice respect. Meditating on what is good and right and holy and partake of those things because in by doing good to those who have harmed you, you will overcome evil and you will glorify the Lord. Amen? Well, we've looked at two righteous responses now to perceived evil act against you, practicing restraint and practicing respect. Now, thirdly, practice regard. Practice regard. Look at Romans 12, verse 20. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. We must practice regard for our enemy. I would say this is probably the most difficult of all the righteous responses against an evil act against us, to show regard for someone who has wronged us. This, my dear friends, is also a distinctly Christian response. We are to go further than simply restraining ourselves from retaliating. And we are to go further than just tempering our hearts with a willingness to be at peace with our enemy. Because if we're honest with ourselves, that really requires just doing nothing at all. As long as I don't respond back, right? But here, the Lord has us kind of Crossing into enemy territory. Crossing the enemy line and going beyond, but not to do harm, but rather to help. In the posture of our heart, we can find in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 17, if we know and believe that God is a just judge 
who sees all things and will rightly respond to all acts of wickedness, then we should respond in this way. Proverbs 24, 17 says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. You know, that's challenging, isn't it? Someone has wronged you, someone has offended you, and then you see them stumble, right? It's like the guy that's on the freeway behind you and he's driving super fast behind you and he's right on your tail and you let him over and he blows by you and then a mile down the road you see the police officer pulled him over and he's getting a ticket. But Proverbs twenty four seventeen. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Friends, we need to see ourselves in our enemy. We need to remind ourselves that we ourselves were once enemies of God. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. This is going to take humility. It's going to take grace. This is going to take compassion and love with a mind that is set on things above. A mind that is set on Christ. Think of the writer of Hebrews. He says, run this race with your eyes fixed on Jesus who is the author and finisher of the faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. That's us. We must do that very thing. We must keep our eyes fixed on the joy that is set before us. Friends, The Apostle Paul says that he does not consider the sufferings of this age even to be compared to the glories that will be revealed to us. We just need to persevere. Amen? And we can do that together, right? We can gain strength together within the body of Christ Because all of us have been in a situation that is extremely difficult. It's like trying to unscramble an egg. How do I get this relationship back? The egg has been scrambled. It's impossible. But it's not impossible. Because nothing is impossible with God. If we trust Him. Jesus clearly teaches us that it is our responsibility to love not only our neighbor, but also who? Our enemy. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 47. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? 
Do not even the tax collectors do the same? But if you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? It's easy to love lovable people. It's easy to love people who love you. But what we see here is the distinction between human love and the love of God. Where human love fails, God's love succeeds. Where human love is weak, God's love is strong. Where human love runs dry, God's love is an ever-flowing stream. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Romans 5, verses 7, 8, and 10. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10 For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Friends, God demonstrates perfect restraint and respect and regard for us. We While we were sinners, while we were ungodly, while we were enemies of God, practicing evil deeds, while we were helpless, he sent his son to die in our place, to reconcile us, that we would go from being his enemy to having a seat at his table as a son, as a daughter part of his family. Well, again, we look back to our text, but, that's a big but, right? But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. To have regard for your enemy is to do the best good for them according to the need of the moment. Sometimes that means getting to your knees and praying for this person. Sometimes it means helping them when they are in need. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. This is loving your enemy. In Romans 12.20 says, For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And that's a very interesting verse, isn't it? (laughs) So the thought of heaping burning coals on your enemy's head, everybody perked up, huh? (laughs) To feed and give drink to your enemy is to heap burning coals on his head. What does this mean? And that's a wonderful word picture though, isn't it? I think the idea here is that your enemy is expecting a retaliatory response from you. When your enemy has wronged you, they're expecting you to attack. 
But when we treat them with regard, it puts them to shame. It puts them to shame. And maybe you've experienced this before in your own life. When you were caught off guard by an unexpected act of kindness by someone that you have wronged or offended. Maybe you were put to shame in that moment and maybe that humbled your heart. There's a story of two missionaries. It's it's actually a story of a missionary man and his wife, Edmund and Grace Fabian. And they were missionaries to Papua New Guinea, the Nabak people. And Edward was translating the Bible in their language so that they could have the Word of God and understand the gospel. And one morning, his wife, Grace, is woken up and she sees a friend from the Nabak people that was helping and assisting her husband with words and translation running out of the house. And she goes into the next room. Now, mind you, this was a people that believed in evil spirits and kind of witchcraft and witch doctors and things to that nature. And she looks, and this man somehow, influenced in his own mind, believing that her husband had an evil spirit, had put an axe in the back of his head. Her husband lay there dead. The work was nearly finished, and her husband has now been murdered. I heard her speak years ago, my wife and I. And this was one of the most amazing stories of forgiveness I have ever heard. What would she do? By God's grace, she stayed there and continued the work. And she offered forgiveness. And the tribal leader, having seen this beautiful act of forgiveness and kindness, mandated that the people would hear from this missionary, the story of Christ. It's believed that the very man who killed her husband is now a brother in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is what it looks like to overcome evil with good. When a man comes to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, everything changes. This is the life of Christ lived out in our hearts. And the capacity to practice restraint from revenge and to practice respect for what is right before all men and to practice regard for our enemy, to love them in the midst of an evil act against us is found only by being in Christ through faith. Friends, if you find yourself this morning considering these things, and you are honest with yourself and you say, I have no love for people who wrong me. All I have in my heart is resentment and revenge. Friends, you have hope. 
You have a sinless Savior who laid his life down for you in the midst of your sin and rebellion against him. And he, this very morning, can grant you everlasting life that you would love your enemy with the same love and sacrifice as he loved you. Go to him this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. We thank you for your grace. Lord, we confess that, Lord, often we lie prey to revengeful thoughts. Lord, often we, Lord, pick up the members of the the old man who has died and retaliate not only against our enemies but even our brothers and sisters in the flock of God. May it never be. Lord God, you indeed have called us to peace and you have granted us, Father, your precious promises, enabling us everything that is necessary to live a godly life in this fallen world. I pray this morning, Lord, that we would all seek you, whether we are a believer, Lord, who is struggling with offense, Lord, that we would go to you and see Christ as our great high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, knowing that he himself was tempted by being wronged and yet sinned not, that we would find grace and aid in the midst of that challenging time. Lord, even now, Lord, if there are any here in our midst that have yet to come to saving faith in you, I pray, Lord God, that today would be the day of salvation, Lord, where they would go from being an enemy of God because of their sin to being his friend, to having a seat at his table as a child of God through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ who bore their sin, paid the penalty in full, and now is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Lord, we just ask for your grace in your name. Amen. All right. If you'd like to stand, we're going to close this morning's service by singing, His Mercy is More.